that's your freaking job as a parent. Like, and that's, that's the whole struggle with parenting is like on one end of the spectrum, you can just be thumbs down mandating. They do everything and not let them like grow as a person and, and just be super strict on the other end of the spectrum is I, I believe sheer lazy. I think they're both lazy, but on the other end of the spectrum is like, whatever, you know, we're just letting them just, Oh, they colored on the wall. That's fine. You know, they're just expressing themselves Oh, you know, they, they want to just be a, a, some other gender. That's fine. Like they just need to be free spirits. And that's, it's like, well, that's lazy parenting. Like you're abdicating your role to actually craft this person to a, a functional adult, you know? And, and the struggle is it's somewhere in the middle. You have to earlier on, you have to be, you know, obviously doing some things for them and all this stuff. But as they get older, you have to let them make their own mistakes, but you have to guide them in building a set of values and a set of like ethics and a set of like hardworking mentality and all of the stuff. And that only comes through discipline. Mm. And, the, and the, the struggle is the discipline. And that's where I think we're, that's where like the public discussion around this is like, we're vacillating between these extremes. So this, the side that's like free spirited, everything is like, oh, you're being too strict. Aside that's too strict to saying, oh, you're being too free spirited, right? And it's like the struggle is in the middle. And it's like you see this, like kids, kids need consistency. They need discipline. Like, yeah. and everyone knows it, you know? And and I think where you do the most damage, and this is we fall into this too. It's like, is when you're inconsistent. Like you come down on them for something, you know, early or, or you come down on something, and then the next minute you're just like not even coming down on them. It's like yeah. kids need that structure. They need some semblance. But but again, back to our earlier comment of Brown, like over scheduling kids is like they need structure but you can't just totally structure every minute of their day because that's not helpful either they have to have some of that kind of free kind of thinking creative time i'm ren mcdonald and this is the hope initiative a show dedicated to learning about humans on planet earth or i speak with everyday people to find moments of success and struggle in their life to help inspire hope in yours Hello and welcome to the Hope Initiative. My name is Rin MacDonald. Thank you so much for joining me for what is episode number 106 with Mike Sudik. I met Mike a month ago now in Waco, Texas for the Iron Man weekend. We got into the water in Waco together and crossed the finish line. Around the same time, Mike was absolutely pumped. I got to see him cross and also got to meet his wife, his five children and his two parents as well as they drove 17 hours from Michigan to Waco. It was an incredible time meeting him and as a result I wanted to have him on the podcast after having a quick chat, a six minute odd interview in episode 102 and in this full length conversation we chatted about his uh, life involved with homeschooling, how he was homeschooled and now how him and his wife homeschool their kids, how his business has evolved into ultimately meeting and growing you know with his wife and ultimately reimagining and cultivating abnormalities and making the abnormalities a normal part of life it was a great conversation one that i feel is very timely for me it always seems to happen with these interviews with people that i i meet especially ones on the road so very grateful for that thank you again to mike and i hope you all enjoy listening cheers 
Mike Sudik. Welcome to the Hope Initiative. Thank you, Ren. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. You're welcome, mate. We're doing this via Zoom today, Friday, the 4th of November. I'm in Florida. I believe you're from Michigan. Is that where you're recording from today? That's correct. Yep, I'm in Michigan. Amazing. You've got a beautiful mic set up there. You've got a nice board behind you that says people-centric, purpose-driven, long-term. I love that. Yeah. So that's a that's the core values of over here. That's the core values <laughs> of my company, EC Group. So we can talk more about that. But yeah, that's that's where I that's where it's from. Yeah, and you've got a lovely mic. I'm sure the audio is coming through brilliantly there. You've got a podcast as well, but we'll get to that. And yeah, your company and many things shortly. But how we've interacted, we first. I think I came across you on Twitter and the whole Boyd Myers Waco Ironman event, and then we met in Waco. A few yeah. weekends ago, I think it's maybe three weeks ago this this weekend. Yeah, feels like <laughs> I don't know. It's it's been a <laughs> crazy moment in time. I haven't had time to fully process it. I think I'm still in the US on the on the high. But uh, yeah, we met there. You drove 17 hours from yeah. Michigan down to Waco, Texas. I had a look at the map earlier. It's just phenomenal. You've got a big family came down. I think there were nine of you in like yeah. this RV. And uh, for anyone wanting to listen to a bit of that episode 102, you were around the 37 minute mark. I interviewed you and a bunch of other people. And then I listened to that. That was really cool. So it was funny because to <laughs> listen to that after having been interviewed and like, no, you wonder how impactful was the fact that we were there, you know, like it was like bringing back all this emotion from the day. So that was really cool to listen to just the other day. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I, I love listening back. I've had a lot of great feedback on that one, but yeah, your, your section was, was there like maybe four or five minutes, but that's how we got to know each other. And I wanted to learn more about your life. There's a lot of things that, yeah, I feel like I admire in you, but there's a lot, obviously I don't know about you. So that's the context in which we know each other. So with all of that said, I would love to kick this off as you're still essentially a stranger by <laughs> asking you for your earliest memory if you could so as young as that may be starting with your earliest memory and bringing us forward to present day november 2022 but you know picking out the key moments in your life that, that come to mind and i like to limit people if you can the challenge is three to four minutes not that i'll cut you off but uh if you can start with that earliest memory and bring us forward over to you mike thanks well thanks for having me again Ren. i'm really excited to be here and it's interesting that we met through Waco, which was, I'm going to take a segue a little bit before I answer your question, mm. but that we met both chasing a really big goal that I think was new to both of us. You know, this was, that was your first Ironman event, my first Ironman event. I'd only done a sprint triathlon before that. Same. So we kind of were, yeah, I mean, so I think it's really neat that it's like, that was a culmination of, and it was a, a slice of who we were at that moment, you know, like we were both striving after something and that's everyone there, right? Everyone there is training for that day. So I think it's a unique group of people that are kind of all aligned, at least on one level, even though they have a very eclectic background, which I think is really a unique mix. I mean, I don't know that you and I would have ever met otherwise, or even Boyd Myers. It's like, at what other instance would I have come across him other than chasing after this goal? And he was a big part of that goal because you know he was putting it out there. He was talking about it. And so I just think that's really unique. And it's funny because on that trip, I think we got together with like two or three other people that I had met online. There's another family up in Dallas, Texas that we drove through and met with. And I had known this guy for like two or three years. He's a father of five, very similar backgrounds, but we met on Twitter and we're like literally pulled up to his house and my wife didn't know this guy at all. She's like, she knew I'd like talk to him or whatever. 
She's like, wait, so she just met this guy on Twitter. And my, even my oldest son, my 11 year old, he's like, you just, you've never actually seen this guy in person. I'm like, no. And so we just walk into his house and we had dinner and it was like a great time. So it's just a little like side note of, I think it's, I think it's so interesting to meet people. It's interesting how you meet people, but it's typically around, you know, a shared value or idea or in, you know, the Waco case, it was like something that we were all chasing. And again, I'll maybe I'm segueing too much, but mm. it it makes me immediately think of we were sitting there before we jumped in the water at Waco. I was trying to explain this to my wife, and it's like you can't really explain it unless you're there, and especially if you were one of the people that was participating. It's like everyone it, there was just like this excitement, and people like I would see people I kind of knew from Twitter or whatever, and it's like yeah, you know, hey, we've been talking like this last like six eight months and interacting, and it's like. Hey, and we're all here. And it was like this weird euphoria. And then it starts to rain, you know, and it was like, I was telling my wife, I was like, it was actually really cool that when that happened, because it just kind of amped everyone up. They're like, yeah, hell yeah, let's go. You know, this is, yeah, yeah, yeah. bring it on. And it was like, <laughs> yeah, I get, I'm getting, I'm getting like goosebumps right now, just like thinking about it. I was like, that was so cool. You know, what a unique thing. And it's like, man, I know how people get hooked on this stuff, you know, these endurance sports, but yeah, um, man. So well said and great, great segue. Feel free to segue at any moment that you want. So true. So I don't know about earliest memory, but I actually grew up in Dallas from birth until I was about 11, I think. And then we moved to Michigan. Both my parents are from Michigan originally, moved down in like the 70s or so for jobs, you know, had us four kids. I'm the youngest of four. And um, some of my earliest memories actually are playing in the Texas heat, which is interesting given that we were just in Waco. <laughs> And being so hot in the in the heat and having to come in and like get a you know reprieve in the air conditioning, which is interesting. Cause then I moved to Michigan and then you have the same thing in the wintertime. You go outside and it's so cold you have to come in and heat up. <laughs> but I, I think the reason I bring that up is it's interesting. So I'm a father, or I'm a father of five. So we have an eleven year old, a nine year old, six year old, a four year old, and a twenty two month old. Three wow. boys, two girls. And it's interesting one of the things I talk with my wife and other dads about is I feel like I had this notion when I was a kid that I could just go out and play. And it's like my, in the summertime, my, my parents were great parents, but it's like, it's like they wouldn't check in with me until like dinner time. It's like, you'd be gone and you, you know, you'd go to your friend's house or whatever. There was like this Creek thing in the back of our like subdivision that we would just play in. And it's like, I feel like I didn't check in with them for hours on end. And like, that was like the norm. And now when I think about it, my kids, it's like, Ah, that makes me a little nervous. And you don't know if that's, is that really the world is different or are we more paranoid about it? Or is it just that when you get to that stage as parents, you're like, oh, I don't know, you know. Mm. So it's just, it, it's just an interesting thought experiment, you know. And so to me, that that's like one of my earliest memories. And I, I really remember just, especially in the summertime, we would just be gone and riding our bikes all around the neighborhood and be gone for hours on end, you know. It was probably older than most people would say, like their earliest memories, but like I don't, yeah. I don't have a memory when I was like three years old. It was more when I was like probably, you know, six, seven, eight or something. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah. Yeah, nice, man. That's, it's an interesting starting point. You know, I was born in the early 90s because you're 36, right? 36, yeah. So late 80s, kind of 86 is when I was born. Yeah. So not too dissimilar times, but, you know, different different countries, obviously, even though there are similarities between Australia and, and the US. But yeah, I feel like we both probably grew up in times where we didn't have the technology that our kids, you know, your kids, this generation of kids, you know, have access to. I still, 
you know, played the odd computer game, or I think the first thing I got was like a Game Boy with Pokemon. Yes. Yeah. I got a Game Boy. I remember that was a big deal. We got yeah. a Game Boy. <laughs> Game Boy. Game Boy Color comes out and it's yeah. like, oh my God, I had a purple one with like the yellow Pokemon in the back. It looks so cool. But as well, yeah, being able to just go out, yeah, you know, riding bikes with your friends all school holidays or yeah, most days or you just having sleepovers or whatever. And yeah, not, not having that, that check-in. I think it's, it's definitely an interesting thing. And if that's, you know, where your first memory goes, it's, it's a cool, it's a cool moment in time. If you could touch on maybe how you're conscious of, of creating that with them, you yeah. know, I mentioned, you know, the technology, I don't know, you know, as someone who doesn't have kids yet, it's like, oh, when I, when I get a bit older, I don't want my kids, you know, stuck to an iPad or, you know, yeah. in front of the TV all day, but I'm sure it's easier said than done. But at some point, you know, years, you know, decades ago, your parents, my parents and their parents, they didn't have those, those technologies. Right. So, yeah, it, I think to answer that question and how we're doing it, I think one of the things that I think not just kids, but adults is we don't let ourselves be bored enough and let our kind of minds wander. So I think it kind of sounds really deep and philosophical, but it's like it's really practical when it comes to kids. And so, you know, we 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 have so much to fill our time and so much content. You know, we're always like, you know, you know, scrolling through Twitter or, you know, always just occupying our mind, you're looking like the, you know, you're at the grocery store or somewhere, everyone's looking at their phone, right? It's like, you can't have this like vacant time where you're not doing anything and your just mind is like left to just kind of think. And I'm guilty of this too. I'm not, you know, this is not, this is something I want to further cultivate, but this, this skill set or just this normalcy with kind of being bored. And I think when it comes to kids, it's something that my wife and I talk a lot about is like, it's really, it's around technology, but then it's around like overscheduling their childhood, which I feel like when I grew up, it's, it's different than now. Now, like they have to be in like sports, like, you know, many days a week or, you know, it's like, oh, you got to get in these like elite, you know, football clubs and all this stuff. And it's like kids become overscheduled. And I think what they lose is that ability to be bored and then have their creative and imagination kind of let them come up with things that are entertaining them or things they're going to do. And I think that is what, that is what is tied to that earliest memory where we would just, we didn't have anything scheduled. It was like, it was summertime. It was like the weather was good. And it was like, my mom would be like, Hey, go play with Evan. Who's my, one of my good buddies lived around the place. Like, just go be busy. Don't be kind of in my hair. I mean, it's not like she was like, get out of here, but it was like, you guys just go have fun, you know, go play in the backyard, you know, ride your bikes around or whatever. But it wasn't, it wasn't A, it wasn't scheduled and B, it wasn't like we were just plopping in front of a screen. Yeah, we had a Game Boy. Yeah, we would play video games some. It wasn't like we never did any of that stuff. But I think it's such a, I think it's such a detriment to kids that are overscheduled. Mm. There's like an anxiety of like rushing to the next thing, always kind of like doing the next thing. And I think the, the just ability or the cultivation of just that boredom what that does is it, it, it actually like builds their, their, the muscle of creativity and the muscle of like, Hey, I gotta, you know, entertain myself. And, and I think that's like, if the, I think the analogy for like in with adults is there's a tendency to just either you can get a dopamine hit or you can go do something like creative and fun. And it's like, this is another segue, but it's like, and maybe this is my pride, but when I was training for Ironman, I would go on runs like super late at night because the kids would be asleep. Like it was not uncommon for me to like start 
a 10 mile run at like 10 30 10 45 at night because it was like that's by the time you got the kids to bed you got stuff you need to do around the house it's like and my wife's like hey i'm gonna go to bed i'm like hey i'm going i'm gonna get to go on a run because i gotta get miles in you know it's like wake waits for nobody you know it's like this the date's coming and so I would run down the street and I would remember seeing in people's houses, like you could see the TV blaring and it was like every other house, like people are just, you know, sitting on the couch, just sitting there watching TV. And I was like, like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not doing that. You know, I'm like, I'm out here running, like trying to better myself and competing for this event. But where I was going with that is the tendency to just kind of get a dopamine hit and just be like, you know, I'm, I'm going to just veg out is is prominent, it's normal, it's accepted, as opposed to chasing an interest, a you know, a big event, or you know, just letting you like, pursuing other things. You know, it's a little different than kind of how I was talking about it with the kids, because I think with kids, it's kind of cultivating the imagination. But I, I get really, I can get really passionate about it and get on a soapbox right about this because I think it with kids especially, once you kind of stifle that early on, it's harder to rekindle it right yeah. it's like it's a muscle you know yeah you can do it but it's like if you just sit around for years and years and years and you try to go run a long distance or lift a really heavy weight you're going to pull something you know and you got to slowly kind of build that muscle back and i think with kids especially it's like the damage can be really detrimental that to, to reverse that later is really hard you know so Mate, so well said. Uh, you've obviously done a few podcasts very well, <laughs> very well articulated. I feel like I could, I don't know, jump into a few points there that you that you made. One that immediately comes to mind, just from my own point of view, was you know training for for Waco. I love that you said you know Waco waits for no one. Yeah, you know, in working with uh, Ryan Dreyer, who was just uh, the last last guest on the podcast, he was my my coach, getting me ready for the event. You know, in in having a chat with him. There were, you know, the long rides that I would go on three hours, swims, obviously the runs probably got up to around an hour and a half sort of max. Mm -hmm. And I would listen to music. And on one of the runs, I said, I felt a lot better, you know, running at the tempo of the music. I've always been a very good runner playing soccer over the years, but always have, have trained really with music. And he sort of said, you know, you need to be able to go out and do it without music, without the podcasts in yeah. your ears. You know, you have to just have your thoughts in your in your head because you're not going to have that music on the event, and you need to know that yeah. you can you can push and dig deep, right? You're going to be out there for six, seven, eight hours, whatever the case may be. And so, I remember that first ride. It was a Saturday morning, and I went out with nothing. I did take headphones, I'll admit, but I didn't put them in. <laughs> I was like, in, in case I can't, you know, get the hour and a half. It's ridiculous, like just being hooked to that dopamine, but. The creative thoughts that came from that period were phenomenal. Yeah. And I've experienced this in other moments, you know, when you go out for a walk in the morning and you don't take your phone and you're just there, you're looking at houses, you're looking at the birds, you're looking at other people smiling at strangers. It's incredible. But it's that essentially that vacant time that you you mentioned where you're not having your thoughts impeded by music mm -hmm. by someone else's thoughts i mean here we are podcasts and people are probably listening to this you know where they're driving or maybe they're out yeah. on a bike ride or something and hopefully they choose to keep listening but at the same time it's like hey you can get so much from just switching all of that off and mm -hmm. yeah going on this journey and letting your mind go wherever it wherever it ultimately goes i think there's a lot of power in that yeah it's a i, I would agree with you i mean that's 
I had the same thing actually. I would I, I would train with music and podcasts and stuff. And I can't remember. I think I was reading some either Ryan, I because I follow Ryan as well. I mean, with the tribal training stuff mm. and with with some of these other guys. And I was like, oh yeah, I can't listen to any music. Like I need to do that. And I remember it was a it was a run. It's like a bike. A bike, I think for me, a bike is less strenuous. Maybe I don't ride as fast enough, but it's like the run is kind of like, especially the first like, couple of miles if I'm going for a long run, it's like my body and my mind is giving me every excuse to be like, nah, slow it down. You can stop. Like, you know, walk a little bit. <laughs> it's like, it's like okay, if I don't have the music in there to counter those thoughts, like this is, it's a huge like mental muscle that you have yeah. to build. But but I, I agree with you. It's like the the clarity of thought, you know, I also do a lot of like praying too when I was like when I'd be running and stuff and I felt like that was a good a good period, you know, to not have anything in there and just be like more focused in that was really just healthy and was a was a was interesting benefit that I didn't realize prior to the training, right? That that would be so. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good very good point you make as well. I like it, mate. So then we've we've touched a little bit on the kids and on on the training with Waco, but Going back to your early days, you mentioned, you know, growing up youngest of four, I met your yeah. parents there in Waco. They yeah. know, came, came down back to, back to Texas. Yeah. Um, I would love to know what your early life was like. You mentioned, you know, those first memories, but being the youngest of four, you know, you've got five kids now yourself. I'm the eldest of seven kids. So I've got, you know, my own thoughts and, and dominance awesome. growing up, but I would love to know what those early days were like. Yeah. Growing up, whether that yeah. was in the heat of Texas of seven. or the cold. Oldest of seven. My parents got divorced when I was quite young. For ease of explanation, I say I'm the eldest of seven. But my, yeah. yeah, both my parents remarried and have had kids. But okay. yeah, essentially the eldest of seven. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, because that's rare. It's a seven, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> rarer from the one, one, one couple. But anyway, it's still probably it's actually <laughs> yeah. probably rarer from divorced parents. There yeah, probably <laughs> is. Yeah, yeah. You always wonder what the stats are on that. You know. Yeah. So it's funny you asked about that because one of my other earlier memories was, so my dad was kind of a serial entrepreneur growing up, started different businesses and that we can talk about the current business I run. He started it and I'm have taken it over, but he, uh, he was kind of in between gigs. Uh, you know, he'd sold a company and wasn't never really, it's not like he sold it for multi-millions of dollars. Right. So it's like, it wasn't like, Oh, I can retire, but he's like, he had some money, had a little bit of time could kind of figure out what he wanted to do. And I, I think the oldest I think my brother was like 11. So I must've been like five or six because I'm the youngest of four and, he, and my brother's oldest. And so he just decided, Hey, let's, let's buy a, a, a travel trailer with a, with a van. And this is part of the reason why we, we traveled down the way we did to, to Waco with a travel trailer and a big van is he's like, what if we just bought this van and this travel trailer? And we just like went around and saw some of the country. So we were, we were in Texas thing at the time and he, they bought it. It was supposed to be a three month trip, like over the summer break turned into a 13 month trip and we saw all of the states in the you know continental US so not obviously not Alaska or, or Hawaii mm. and so 13 months travel trailer four kids you know went all around and wow. to me was a hugely transformative trip even though I was so young yeah. the being able to go to all those places and then like later be like oh yeah we went there so I see the picture you know kind of remember that but also just the, I think the, the adaptiveness to, you met so many people along the way and my parents are, I mean, like me, right there, I'm like them, you know, you say like, they're very social, very, you know, like they, they are easy to get to know people, you know, mm -hmm. 
And so that was a skill that I think we we all kind of learned because you're naturally just getting to know new people at like the new towns. It's like we would go and stay at a, we'd usually stay for a few days at like a campground. And usually it was like a backcountry kind of campground, not like this like modern, you know, whatever. And so you get to know like people that, that run it and, you know, get to know some people. And sometimes if we were there, like on a Sunday, we'd like go to church with people and they'd be like, oh yeah, come over to our house, you know? And, and it was just really cool experience. It's something actually that I want to, before my oldest is 18, I want to visit all 50 states with them. So that was part of the, this trip was kind of part of that. We stopped in a couple, you know, on the way down and stuff. So yeah, that was, that was kind of a big deal. And, and that was a big you know, it was interesting talking to my parents about that because they were like, when I was talking to them later when I was older, you know, my dad's kind of was like, you know, we kind of had some money to do it. And I thought, when are we going to get this opportunity again? You know, it was like the kids were young enough, you know, we're not into like college or anything and why not do it? And he said, that's why it went from three to 13 months because mm-hmm. he didn't have to get immediately back for a job. You know, it was like, and we actually were homeschooled during that time. So my, so my mom homeschooled us while we we're on the road which is what we do now with our five kids. Wow. And so that even afforded us that option. You know, there was a lot more flexibility there. So, so kind of just that mentality of like, why not, you know, what, you know, embracing the, the opportunity that was given to say, yeah, let's, let's seize this opportunity to do this. So. Yeah, that's, that's phenomenal. And a nice reflection point in saying that you want to do that as well with your, with your kids. And you've already, I guess, started that. Yeah. You mentioned the eldest now for you is 11, 11 year old. Yeah. Funny, funny sort of timing. Albeit you might have already started. For you, reflecting back again, how do you think you changed even as a six year old from, you know, before and after those, those 13 months? Like when you got back, I assume you might have been like seven, you know, seven and a half ish, yeah. whatever the case may be. You know, were you more confident in school? Did you have more of an idea of what you wanted to to be when you, you know, were older? Yeah. That, that classic question, how are you? Yeah, I wish I, I wish I did. I wish I could remember back to say, yeah, it was this huge transformative moment. Like, a, <laughs> um, I, th- I think though, like with that, with like doing the homeschool thing for a little while, like, and I, I feel like my parents just did a lot of non-traditional things. And I think that instilled in us to, to just kind of embrace non-traditional like non-traditional things, like not to just take the prescribed path. And I think that's something I want to pass down to my kids too. Like to kind of think outside the box, you know, not to just kind of, this is what you do. You, you go to college and you get a job and that's it. And it's like, no, you know, this is, how can you, you chase things that are outside of that norm, you know, outside of just the, the everyday type of thing. Yeah. And I think they just kind of lived it out. It wasn't like they were preaching that, you know, it wasn't like, they were, you know what I mean? It wasn't like they're like, oh yeah, we're, we're not doing what the normal people do. We're out here on the road. It was just kind of like, no, we're just taking this opportunity and this is what we're doing right now, you know? And yeah, when something else presents it, we'll, we'll figure that out. So it's very cool. Yeah. Very, very free spirited, I would say. And very, I mean, you mentioned your dad being entrepreneurial. You obviously run a company now as well and can have time to, to do that with, with your kids. And I love the idea of, yeah, homeschooling. So you homeschool now? Yeah. So we homeschool. We, um, and when I say we, it's like 95% my wife, you know, she stays at home with the kids. So, (laughs) I mean, obviously I help out and where I can, but I want to not take anything away from her because she works extremely hard at that. So we, yeah, we homeschool. We, we have since the beginning, we've kind of always taken it just a year at a time and we're, 
I wouldn't say like we're anti-school per se. I mean, that, that conversation can get very political sometimes, but that there are some things that are concerning in the U.S. politics right now, and especially in terms of schooling and content and that sort of thing. Yeah. But we just feel that, A, we are the most qualified to educate our children at this stage because of the love that we have for them, because of the knowledge that we have and the way we can do it that's best catered to them as an individual, because I think that's a big belief we have is everyone has different learning styles. So to cram all size, you know, fits one, you know, one size fits all, you know, it doesn't really work. But that's what you have to do if you're trying to educate millions of of kids, right? I mean, let's say that's one. And then two is just the the freedom to be able to do things like go down to Waco for like, I mean, our trip was like two and a half weeks and we stopped at like the St. Louis Arch. We did, you know, in, in St. Louis, we stopped in Oklahoma. We stopped to see some family in Dallas and we did some school along the way, but we did some museums and stuff. And it's like, that's education. I mean, it's like, that's, you know, to be able to do that, it's like we would have had to pull them out of school and they would have had to like make up all this work and all this stuff. And, and why I say we take it one year at a time is because our 11 year old, you know, we've asked him like, do you want to go, do you want to go into school? You know, it's like, do you, and he's like, no, I don't think so. And we've kind of talked about, you know, either private school, public school, that sort of thing. Yeah. We do a, um, my wife goes to a one day a week, there's like a co-op type thing where it's other homeschool families. They typically do like classes that are harder to do from the home. So like they have like a wood kind of woodworking type class they had some like there was like one that's like teaches dance one that teaches like music like guitar so it's like those are kind of harder to do if you don't know how to play guitar right so (laughs) it's usually like so that that's a good outlet for her and with the kids like it's another cohort of kids my wife's the oldest of eight so and then her one sister has five kids another her brother has four so like they naturally have like these built-in like whole you know (laughs) Wow, friend group. My, I'm the so I'm the youngest of four. My sister has four kids. My sister has two. My brother has two. So, so the get-togethers are usually pretty big, Ren. <laughs> that's amazing. And your wife, the eldest of eight. Yeah, so, so good. I mean, I was curious there, and you sort of answered it in the sense of taking it one year at a time with the homeschool. Yeah. And yeah, not that we have to necessarily go too deep into it because you mentioned yeah, it's political. It's very political back home. But I know growing up. This is just for me. I thought the kids who got homeschooled were weirdos. Yeah. Um, I went to a school though that had only maybe 20 kids for the most part. And, you know, I, I think at the peak was maybe 50, 50 kids. So was, yeah, a bit more. That's tailored. pretty small. Is that a, was it, was it a private school or was it just rural, rural? Private school. I mean, it was about 40 kilometers out of the city, which is okay. like what, 26 miles. So it's not. Like Australia and America, I've already spoken to you about this. The U.S. is massive compared to Australia, man. (laughs) Like I'm from, I would say I'm from Melbourne, but where I went to school is, yeah, about that 25 miles away from Melbourne. So you maybe call it rural-ish, but look, it was still a a good town with a a big population. But yeah, it was, it was a smaller school. But uh, yeah, like I said, I, I honestly thought, you know, kids, you know, we had a few that had been homeschooled that would come and initially I'm like, oh, these kids are weirdos. But Mm-hmm. Maybe I was just a little bit of a bit of a, an asshole as a kid. Who knows? <laughs> but now I think, yeah, when I have kids, I would absolutely want to homeschool because yeah. the things that it seem they're seemingly being taught, you know, yeah. whether it's public or private, seems a bit wild. And like I said, we don't have to get too political on this, you know, podcast episode. But uh, I think 
what you guys, what you, you and your wife have created is, is great. And, and that idea that there's, you know, facilities to get with other people, other families, homeschooling their kids sounds fantastic. I mean, I would love to ask two questions. And the first one on that is you mentioned the year at a time thing and asking your 11 year old what, you know, if he would like to go, obviously mm -hmm. give them all that opportunity. And I mean, nine, six, and I think four was the other. You know, yeah. so, you know, what are those conversations like? Because they probably don't understand what it's like. You're not, yeah. you don't, you're not going to explain to them, you know, that, but it's obviously a bit of, bit of freedom, which I think is, is nice, but maybe there's other, you know, curricular things that they're doing where they're meeting. Like, I know I started playing soccer when I was nine and that's where yeah. a lot of my best friends have come from. Right. Is right. those sports where the interests have been. Yeah. So it's kind of hard. It's like they don't even know what what a real school is like, right? So it's kind of like you, they can't even make that determination, right? But but that's okay. I mean, part of part of it irks me that we say, "Oh, it's political. We can't talk about it." I'm not saying that that's what you're saying, but I'm just saying like that's kind of bullshit that like they say we can't talk about it because we can talk <laughs> about it, man. No, no, no. Where'd I know, I, I know what you meant. I know what you meant. It wasn't towards you, but it's like yeah, holistically, yeah. they're like, "Oh, it's political. You can't talk about these things." Like. Why not? This is something I care about. And and it's not like I'm trying to convince you. And it's mm -hmm. not that I judge you if you want to do something different. I mean, I think that's the the, the conversation I have with my wife is like it, it can get political even when we talk to other couples when you're like, oh, we homeschool and my wife stays at home. That's that's a little abnormal from the normal abnormal. I just abnormal from the normal, which is the same thing, but <laughs> is from in the sense that oh, the wife might go to work and then you, you know, the kids are in in a in a traditional school. As we talk about that, someone might be offended or they feel like we're judging them because they're not homeschooling their kids because we're trying to say it from the moral high ground. That's not it at all to each their own. But I'm not going to stray away from my very strong held opinions about why I want to do this for my family. That in no means do I am. Is that a judgment on how you're doing your kids like that's and that's even within our family. I have a sister that homeschools and the other sister does not. The, the, the other one is she's a nurse and she's, and they send their two kids to school and it's like, that works for them. That's what they want to do. There's no judgment. I think like sometimes yeah. the conversation get all heated, but it's like in no way do we judge them or look down on them. It's like, that is what it is. But what, what kind of irks me is that there shouldn't there, I'm not going to, I'm not going to muzzle my opinions because you're offended. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. And it's an opinion of this is why we do it. And this is, I'm, I feel pretty strong with it. Like, like I said, it's like, we feel like it's the best possible education we can offer them based on our skill sets, where our kids are at, what ages they're at. And it's also gives us a most, a more cohesive family unit for not only their educational, but their personal development. Now that's unique to where we're at. Thank, thank goodness. I make enough money to have my wife can stay at home and that's fine. Some people are darn in that situation and that's just them, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, that was a little segue on that, but no, it's good, man. I forgot what the original question was. Sorry. It's all right. So did I. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's that idea of, you know, giving your kids that opportunity, but yeah, you're right. They don't, they, they don't know because they've never tried it. Right. And yeah. And that's, but I, I think what I was going to say is that it's a, it's a weird time in history that we're in right now where. Mm. It's like, it, it's almost bad that the kids are, the parents are making decisions for the kids. 
like that scene is kind of oppressive. Like <laughs> you see this a little bit in like the whole transgender movement thing where it's like, oh, kids should be able to be like, I feel like a girl when they're like seven. And it's mm. like, no. And maybe I'm taking this as a segue, but it's like, it's like my son who's four will be like, say some, he wants to wear a dress of my, of my, my daughters. It's like, doesn't mean he's a girl. It doesn't mean he should be like, oh, are you a girl? It's like, he just wants to dress up as a girl one day. Yeah. That's normal. That's fine. Who, yeah. who cares? That's you know? the imagination. That's the imagination. <laughs> That's the imagination. We were talking about and it's before. like, yeah. now we're, we're kind of, we're talking about this whole, like, oh, you know, they have to, you know, they. That's how they feel or just, you know, all this stuff. And they should make these like irreversible decisions or really hard to reverse decisions early on, yeah. I think is, is very dangerous. But it's, it's, to me, I think the root level is like, oh, we want the kids should have all this autonomy. And there's this like, it's almost like the parents are oppressing them by not letting them. It's like, that's your freaking job as a parent. Like, and that's, that's the whole struggle with parenting is like yeah. on one end of the spectrum, you can just be thumbs down mandating they do everything and not let them like grow as a person and and just be super strict on the other end of the spectrum is i i believe sheer lazy i think they're both lazy but on the other end of the spectrum is like whatever you know we're just letting them just oh they colored on the wall that's fine you know they're just expressing themselves oh you know they they want to just be a, a, some other gender that's fine like they just need to be free spirits and that's it's like well that's lazy parenting like you're abdicating your role to actually craft this person to a, a functional adult, you know, and, and the struggle is it's somewhere in the middle. You have to earlier on, you have to be, you know, obviously doing some things for them and all this stuff. But as they get older, you have to let them make their own mistakes, but you have to guide them in building a set of values and a set of like ethics and a set of like hardworking mentality and all of the stuff. And that only comes through discipline. And the, and the, the struggle is the discipline. And that's where I think we're, that's where like the public discussion around this is like, we're vacillating between these extremes. So this, the side that's like free spirited, everything is like, oh, you're being too strict. The side that's too strict is saying, oh, you're being too free spirited. Right. And it's like, the struggle is in the middle. And it's like, you see this, like kids, kids need consistency. They need discipline. Like, yeah. and everyone knows it, you know? And, and I think where you do the most damage, and this is, we fall into this too. It's like is when you're inconsistent. Like you come down on them for something, you know, early or you come down on something. And then the next minute you're just like not even coming down on them. It's like yeah. kids need that structure. They need some semblance. But but again, back to our earlier comment of Brown, like over scheduling kids is like they need structure, but you can't just totally structure every minute of their day because that's not helpful either. They have to have some of that kind of free kind of thinking, creative time. And that's where we feel like for us personally, homeschool is a good mix of that because it's like to do the work of like an eight hour class day or whatever, how many hours are at the, at, at a traditional school, you can really accomplish that probably in about two hours, right? Like if it, a yeah. lot of the other stuff is bull crap, yeah. but then there's like, there are social things that happen. There's other things that happen that you need to, you need to be cognizant of. But from our standpoint, it's like, that's a highly inefficient system. You know, <laughs> like we can, we can like convey the facts, you know, the, we can give them the knowledge, but also schooling and education is so much more than just like an absorption of facts. It's not, it's not meant to just memorize things. It's like a lot of what you learn in school for better or for worse, you're learning how to interact with people. You're earning, you're, you're learning how to learn. You're learning how to be disciplined. 
And there's mechanisms to teach them that, whether it's like you got to, you got to get a good rate on the test. You got to do homework in a certain like deadline. You got to do these things. These are meant to A, convey facts, but also B, to teach these other things like hard work and deadlines and all stuff. But you can teach that in a different manner, you know, that is also conducive to some of these other things, which is like valuing school, you're valuing um, family life and actually building like meaningful connections and, and all this stuff. It's like, so it's kind of like saying, okay, what are the intended outcomes of this system, this machine that we have, which is like education and say, how could we do this more effectively? Mm. And I think we've made the determination that's like our system that we have built can do it more effectively. Are there maybe some slight gaps? Yes. You know, are there differences? Yes. But we feel like we've built a more efficient machine. Can everyone build a more efficient machine? Maybe, maybe not. Are we saying that you're bad if you put your kids through that other machine? No. Like, that's just what we're doing, you know? Does that yeah. make sense? Oh, mate, it makes total sense. I appreciate you sharing all of that in such, you know, candid, candid manner, even though you've <laughs> maybe spoken about it before. I'm sure you, you sure you have because uh, I know, you know, like I mentioned, you've got your podcast and it's seemingly, you know, something that's obviously been a big part of your life in, in raising, raising your kids. And, you know, you touched on, you know, the, the, the gender stuff that's, that's coming up, the transgender sort of movement. I feel like for me, it's only really entered my consciousness in the last, maybe, I don't know, 18 to 24 months, but it's probably likely being, you know, around a lot longer. I know like sex ed in schools, at least in high school, there has been a big shift very quickly. It seems, you know, from what I learned, you know, in year nine, which mm -hmm. I was maybe like 14 or 15 to what I hear is being taught now. And yeah. it's wild. Not that we have to go down talking that, about that much, but albeit, albeit I feel like our values are very much aligned in that sense. <laughs> I would like to know, like, how did you like foresee that? Because by the sounds of it, you've homeschooled your, your firstborn his entire life. And then subsequently the rest of the kids have they, as they've followed. Was that a conscious decision that you, you know, wanted before meeting your wife? You know, yeah. did you have a conversation with her before you got married about that? I would love to know what that looks like. Cause I feel like, yeah. you know, if you're entering a relationship and a marriage with someone, and then you have different views on educating your children, like that's a big thing to overcome. So yeah. it'd be important to, yeah, know where you stand from the outset on that. But what did that look like for you and your wife? You, yeah, you, you definitely have to have a, a conversation with that on the outset. But what's the famous Mike Tyson quote? Like, everyone has a plan until they get punched to the face or something like that, right? <laughs> yeah. Kind of like, that's like with kids. It's like, I feel like that quote is so apt for having children because it's like, you can know, you can think you know all you want, but like until you have a child, it's like, it changes everything. It's like, not only is it not what you thought it was, you have this flood of emotions. Like I described the whole Waco experience. I hate to maybe draw that parallel to having a child, but it's like when you have a child, it's like your emotions about that child, about your role in the world, about how you relate to your, your spouse is like, everything's changed from what you thought it was going to be. And you, and you can't, you can't, I could not describe that to you as much as I can say that to you right now. You have no idea just because you don't know in the way I couldn't describe to you what it was going to feel like when you were about to jump into the water at Waco and when you cross that finish line. Like, it's like, yeah, it feels great. And, and you'd be like, oh, that's great, Mike, you know, but it's like, when you actually feel that, it's like, holy crap, this is like different than I thought. And this is amazing. And my body hurts, but it, I feel like euphoric and all this stuff. So 
So what all that to say is the discussion. So my wife was the oldest of eight. She was actually homeschooled from up until the start of high school, which was year nine. And then she went to a public high school, went to a public university after that. And so that was very formative for her. Her parents were very similar in our kind of the way that we've approached it in the sense that giving the kids the option to go to, to go to public school and not, I was homeschooled for a, f- a few years. They did it. So my, my homeschool journey, so we had some background in it, I guess is what I'm meaning to say. It was actually back in, I don't know. I think we started before we went on our trip and it started because way back. So this would have been like what early nineties or something. Cause I, w- I would have been a few years into school and they started this initiative in the Dallas schools that they were like, well, because kids are failing, we're just not going to fail anyone. We're just going to let everyone pass. And that's going to build kids like self-esteem. So that will translate to like higher successes or something. There was like this huge initiative. And my mom was like, this doesn't make any sense at all. So she's like, I'll just figure it out and like pull those kids out of school for like a few years. Kind of goes back to like what I was saying, like them just kind of embracing the abnormal, right? And it turned out to work out well because then we could go on that trip and all this stuff. So we had some discussions about it before we got married and, and, you know, we were talking about it, but it's like, at the end of the day, it was, it has to be like her. It's kind of like having kids. It's like they, the woman has so much, you know, to do with that because they're the ones that are birthing the children, but she's staying at home with the kids. So it's like, it would be way more awkward or higher conflict if I was like, yeah, we, I want to homeschool my kids and you have, you know, you're the one that has to stay home and do it, you know? And, and if she doesn't have any context for it, that would have been really hard. So mm. I think having, I think just the kids discussion is a big thing. So, so what I was going to say is, is like, when you think about like, you know, choosing a spouse or if you're courting someone, it's almost like, you know, if you're the oldest of, you said seven. And if you have this idea or this mentality of what you think it's going to be like with that many kids, that's totally different than just having one or two, right? Speaking of which, one of my my four year old is here. Hey, yeah. Malika, do you want to say hi to Ren? No, he doesn't. He doesn't want to say. Hi. Come on, <laughs> here, come here, come here, Malika. Just we can edit it out if you want. Don't be shy. Hey, what's your name? Hi. Hey, how are you? Hi. Jumping on the podcast. Nice to see you. You remember me from sure. from Waco? No, I'm. Hey, Malachi. Malachi. Nice to meet you, Malachi. I think we might have met in, in Texas. Dad's race. Do you remember your, your dad was racing. I was the crazy, crazy Australian with the long hair. <laughs> Can you nice say goodbye? To... See you, Malachi. Love you. What a cutie. I think we, we just leave that in. I mean, it, Absolutely. it pertains to everything. <laughs> I mean, you've got to be able to roll with it. I mean, look That's at that. Right. That's right. That's right. It's his podcast debut, maybe, or at least at least on an Australian <laughs> podcast. Might have, been on, right. might have been on yours at some time. Yeah, I think so. Oh, gorgeous. So, yeah, we were, we were just talking about like having that conversation. I think that's, um, it's kind of, I mean, I think my wife and I were on the same page early on, but I think it would be hard if you're on different pages. But it's kind of like, you can hypothesize all you want about what that's going to be like, but it's, it changes, you know, as you have kids, if you get married and life changes, mm. it's like, I was talking to my wife, it's like, we've been married 12 years and it's like, we were just different people 12 years ago and that's okay. And it's like, you realize how people just kind of quote, grow apart or fall out of love. It's like, it's cause you got to work at it. You become different people and you have to 
you have to be working at it so that you don't grow apart because you're naturally going to grow. You can't stop the growth, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Really, really appreciate those. Appreciate those thoughts as well, mate. I would love to know a bit more about how you and your, your wife got together. If you don't mind sharing like that, that idea of the, the conversation about children before you got married and maybe it was in the courtship. I could tell you that story. So it's interesting because it segues into what I'm doing now in my job. So, so my dad was a serial entrepreneur and he had sold a company. So I think he sold one and then we went on the trip and then we moved it. We were about down to Texas and then he sold another one and we moved up to Michigan because that's where they wanted to end up because we have family here. Didn't know what he was going to do and was, we were involved in like a swim group and we were in swimming and some different sports and stuff. And he, he heard, he, he says he heard an audible voice. He, he felt like from God to say to go to India. And he was like, what? Like he, there was a guy that was a swim parent. So we were in swimming together, this guy that was involved in some missional work, like in India. So he was like a, is like an NGO, you know, in India. And it was like, he felt like he needed to go with this guy, Don. And he's like, okay. So he goes to India. I've never, I've never gone to India before. Flies over there and really just felt called to open a for-profit business that would fund NGO work going on in the country. Like, so the whole, the whole intent would be to like, how do you start a profitable business, not a nonprofit that can partner with already existing like nonprofits that are in the country, you know? And so, mm. so that was, so that was like a, a big paradigm shift for him personally and like for our family. And so he started that, that was in 1999, started the company EC group, which is a company I run today. He through that, so we started with different business models, but now we do software development. So that's what we do. So we work with software companies to help them do continued software development on their products. Primarily like we work with like software as a service type companies. So, yep. so like a SaaS business. And so, mm. so anyways, early on in that business in about 99, there was like a handful of people that worked there and it was like, and it was a very tight knit kind of group. Like we, because it was like a startup, you know, it was like, we didn't really know what, the, what this was going to become. We were almost like a family to some degree. And my 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 wife's dad, so my now father-in-law, somehow got connected to the business. And I don't remember there was some serendipitous thing. And he he got connected. And so we just kind of knew their family. So we met when we were like 12, 13 years old, wow. which is really unique. And um we just kind of knew each other's families and we just we never nothing really happened for a long time. We went to we both went our separate ways to go to like college and all this stuff. And always stayed in touch. And then we started dating. And within three months I proposed. And then we got married less than a year later after that. And then we had a baby about a year after that, our first baby. So it was like, boom, boom, boom. But it, um, so we, there's the joke that it was an Indian arranged marriage. (laughs) So it's like, because we adopted the practice of the, of the Indian, you know, arranging of marriages, but Ren, but Ren, there's there's a lot of truth in that. The more I like now that I have kids and I think about it, it's like, you know why it worked is because an, a piece of advice my dad would always give me was you marry the family. And what he meant by that was you're going to do a lot of things with this family, your in-laws, you know, sometimes if the family is not as close, you might not do as many like holidays and that stuff, but you're marrying all their values, their traditions, their, you know, how they view family you're marrying that family and and what they believe in and all that stuff. And and what I found with my wife was like I already knew the family and I saw what they valued and I saw like 
this is what I want for my family, like something like this, you know? Yeah. So that's why it moved really quickly. It was like, so when we kind of got the compatibility thing down and we had a, like a, a physical or a, you know, infatuation where we say like chemistry, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah. well, all these other things line up. We got all like the fundamental things, you know, it's like, let's do this thing kind of. Like, <laughs> and so I think that's so important to whereas like to traditional dating is like, it's all reliant on the, on the, the, the physical situation, physical, yeah, the physical yeah, before, stuff, right? before the values for sure. Yeah. So it's like, well, then you get into problems because your values aren't aligned. So as it pertains to like homeschooling and that stuff, it's like, I already kind of knew that, that, that was, she was aligned with that and wanted to do that. And we're probably having more kids than I had additionally thought we were going to have, but, <laughs> but I, it goes back to like, I was the youngest. So she was the oldest of eight. So it's like, she kind of already knew how to kind of be a caretaker to some degree, you know, like totally. to whereas I'm the youngest, I'm like, I'm just used to being spoiled. So it's like, yeah, fine, <laughs> you know, um, so I think, I think that's important. So I think the, the whole, so two things I'd say in terms of like the spouse and like the, the thing is like you marry the family. So like, if you look to the family and look to what they value, that's a big aspect of it. The other thing is like, my dad advised me to make an actual list of things that I want in a spouse and prioritize that list right? Because you're not going to necessarily meet. And it sounds kind of like, like shallow a little bit, but it's like, you already have the list in your head. So why not put it down on paper and actually like think about each one of those things? So it's like, okay, number one, we have to have the same faith because or else that's going to, that drives everything. Okay. You know, how big a family does she want? You know, what is things that she values? What are all of these things that it was like, I started to put down and I was like, April's my wife like checks all these boxes, you know, and it wasn't like as, as like, you know, cut and dry as that is like, Oh, well, just go ahead with her. It was like, we had kind of redeveloped a friendship and then it kind of got into something else. But I thought that was such wise advice because it's like, I think in that situation, I was trying to think if I did that before than other girls I did dating, I think I did draft it before. It yeah. kind of helps you weed out, you know, it's like, Oh, we don't like, these are big kind of deals. So this is going to be a problem. And there's another thing my dad would say is like, you got to recognize an issue. It might not go away. It's like, but just at least, at least knowing that it's a problem. So I don't know where an instance of that would be yeah. kind of like, I don't know, maybe that was a little bit of distraction, but it's like, it's like in business. It's like, okay, recognize we have a risk factor. We can't eliminate that risk factor, but we always know we have, we have that risk factor and you just got to be aware of it and being aware of it. You can help manage it. And that sounds kind of crass towards like a spouse or something, but it's like, it's just a reality. It's like, yeah. I'll say an example. So my, my wife is the oldest of eight. When we moved, we lived in Northern Indiana for a little while. We moved back here. Her, she had some siblings that were still in high school and they were heavily involved in sports. And we wanted to be there to see them in these sports activities and stuff like that. So it's like we knew moving back, that was going to be something we wanted to do and we'd be expected to be there. And it's like, that's just a reality. We know we want to do that. Let's have a discussion about that. Kind of April and I, and like with her family and stuff and like, but we realize that's something we're choosing to do and we know. So that's going to come in conflict with maybe some other commitments we have or want to do, but we're kind of together agreeing upon this is something we want to do. So yeah. I don't know if that's a inappropriate analogy or not, but. No, I understand what you're saying. And I mean, I think it's rare to find someone and I don't know, potentially unhealthy where you might be hundred percent in agreement with everything. Because then yeah. there's no almost room for growth. And yeah. the idea that you 
you know, are aligned in your faith. I love that as a starting point. You know, you have these these values and these morals that are aligned, I think is is brilliant. But yeah, you know, being aware that there's maybe some things that aren't that you can still work through. And like you said, you know, you were different people 12 years ago to now. You maybe didn't expect that you were going to have five kids or, you know, yeah. there might be more on the way, mate. My dad had a, my dad had his youngest daughter, I think he was like 43. You know, wow. you, you might crack, you might crack the double digits at the way you're going, but I think that's brilliant. And all that you shared there with, you know, the, the marrying the family, I love that. And there's a lot I could talk to on yeah. that, you know, first girl that I dated, we dated for four years and I was acutely aware that you know, if I wanted to marry that woman, that girl, I, I would be marrying the family. And yeah. I didn't, I didn't feel that. I, I didn't think that I could. And so we broke up and, you know, I stand by that decision ultimately. And I think, you know, sure there's, you know, you're obviously not jumping into bed with the family. You're not having that connection with them, but yeah. you're right. You know, the values transfer to, to what would ultimately be your wife or your husband, if you're a woman. And it's like, my goodness, you know, you need to be able to have that for, yeah for your, your family in the future, because, you know, there's no doubt that they would be affected by, by their parents, you know, by their upbringing. That's why I have these, these conversations. I want to know what crafted a person. And in so yeah. many ways, it is those early days, you know, you're talking about being homeschooled and, and all of these things. It's, it's so important. So yeah. Amazing. I feel like we could go for like multiple more hours on this. Cause I feel like the one of the things I was going to bring up is like now, even in you saying like, okay, thinking about choosing a spouse, like you have some of these ambitions with the hope initiative, some of these things that you're doing, or even like some of the endurance training, it's like, that's part of who you are. And that's something that you would bring into a relationship. So you have to be, have a, just a, a logical discussion about that. Yeah. And if there's not, then it can cause conflict because you're on the different page with expectations. Like, Hey, this is something I care about. Something I would devote my time to. And, and then also like compromising in there, you know, it's like, that's what, that was a huge learning lesson for me with Waco is like, I, um, was looking for something to kind of push myself. And when I was talking, I was, I was looking at it and I'm like, yeah, I kind of want to commit to this. And I finally pulled the trigger after talking to my wife about it, like, this is going to be a, a big commitment and it's going to mean hours of me training. And we had to talk about that. And it's like, okay, the, the, the compromise was, I, I ended up training a lot with my youngest too. Like I was pulling them in a bike trailer, pushing them in, hmm. like get converted to a push, you know, jogging stroller or doing training late at night. It was like, but there was times where there was stuff that had to be done. And I'm like, Hey, I really need to like get in a run. And, and she'd be like, okay, yeah, like, that's fine. You can go. And it was like, uh, there was an, a mutual understanding around a shared goal or something that was important to one of us. And that goes both ways, you know, and that goes yeah. both ways with the homeschooling and all this stuff. But it's like, that was a new thing. It's not like I came into the relationship saying, I want to do these Ironmans. It's <laughs> like, it was something I cared about. And I was like, okay, you have to have a discussion about it. You got to, you got to be on the same page, you know, about what the expectations are. So. Yeah. Beautifully said. And, and it's sort of a good segue. It's one thing that I wanted to talk a little bit more on. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned there, or you mentioned earlier, you know, a bit about Waco, but also the idea of kids needing discipline and consistency. And I think, you know, in your training, for it, you know, you mentioned 10:30 at night, taking two kids out in the stroller, 
you know, and then bringing your kids 17 hours south of where you, where you live. Ultimately on what would I, what I would explain is like an incredible school camp or excursion, yeah. like <laughs> how fun to go with your parents to do that to a, to a new state. That example of, you know, putting something on the calendar and building towards that. How has that transformed sort of the past, you know, period? I think you mentioned maybe getting it on the calendar earlier this year, like April or something. And yeah. how do you reckon that's impacted your, your kids? And what does that look like moving forward? So the three-pronged question, if you can think of that. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I would say the biggest thing is like putting it on the calendar, you make time for it. Like I think this notion, so when you have kids, it's like you think back, you're like, what did I do before I had kids? I had all this free time. Well, it's like you just make time for things. Like you don't, if, if I would have taught, if, if like in January, you, I think it, it was like April timeframe when I was, when I was like signing up. And it was like, if, 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 Ren, if we had this conversation January, 2022, and you're like, Hey Mike, do you have time to train for like, do all these runs, do this stuff to, to figure out like your nutrition also? Hell no, I don't have that time. Are you kidding me? I got five kids. I'm trying to homeschool. I'm trying to run this business. Like I do not have that time, but a, a desire to push myself and, and, and get in better shape physically. I put a date on the calendar and I knew that was a non-negotiable. I didn't, I, and I paid like a couple hundred dollars for, to, to go to this race to put myself through misery, which is kind of weird. It's like, it, it was a non-negotiable and it was a non-negotiable that I had with my spouse to say, we're committed. We're both committed to this because it's going to be a team effort. And I can't slack on this. I got to, I just got to figure it out. I got to make time and I got to shed things. Did some things get dropped? Whatever. Yes. I think that's an important thing for me personally. That is like shines a light on. You, you, there's a line in the sand. It, Waco's not going to wait for anybody. That day's going to come. You can't skirt it. You can't push it back. You can't delay it. It's going to be there. So that's a huge part of it. I think the other is talking with my kids about that. I don't know what the tangible like effects of it were, but I know that like I talked to them about why I did the, wanted to do this race, why we were going all the way down to Waco, why we want to do this, which was part of like, I met these guys on Twitter. So that's why we're going to Waco. Two is we want to make it a family event. It's not just about like dad, but it's like, we want to make this a, a, a cool journey. We wanted to see family in Dallas that we had. So talking with about that and then me as I'm training, like I'd, I'd go to, I'd go on runs after my 11 year olds would sleep. And I talked to him about last, Hey dad, Hey, I, I ran last night. You know, dad ran last night for like an hour and a half. Cause I, you know, and he said, be like, whoa, you ran how far? I'm like, I ran 10 miles. He's like, whoa, like that's so far. And it's like, that's not for dad to get an ego pump up. That's to display to him that that's like normal. Not that it's normal, but it's like, I don't know if like what effect that has, but it's like, I want to normalize that. Like when you talk about, oh, it's this great trip to go on down to Texas. It was like, I want to normalize that. That's the norm, you know? Yeah. And, and it was a big trip. Yes, they were excited. It was, it was a big initiative to take all those kids down there. Yes, it was not easy, but it's like, as best I can, I want to normalize that. So that when someone's like, he meets a kid and like, oh, we never went on a trips. He'd be like, that's, that's abnormal. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's, I want it to be like, yeah, we just do things. And, and that's a big conversation my ha my wife and I had is like, there's a tendency when people have kids that they just stop doing things They're like, oh, so you can't take a, a one year. We went to India when my youngest was, we had two kids at the time. We took a, a trip to our India office. The youngest was 10 months. And the, so they're nine and 11. So they're like 23 months apart, I think. So then he would have been like, what, one and a half or something. The youngest was 10 months. Everyone was shocked. They're like, especially Indians, like they don't take the kids like very far outside the house in the first year of birth because they're like, they don't want them to get sick and all stuff. And it was like, here I traveled halfway around the world. 
and I think that's a that's a that's a the reason we did that is because we're like kids should not stop us from doing things. Not that we want to drag our kids everywhere at a detriment to them, but it's like why is there this notion that you have to like stop doing things? Like let's bring your kids along. Yeah, it's going to change how you do it. Maybe you can't do quite as much, but it's like you have to be displaying to them doing these things. Like the, the life does not revolve around them. Mm. It has to like I'm still going to do the like the race. It was like, yeah, doing the stuff. It was like we didn't go down there so they could do it, you know. Does that make sense? Like Dude, it makes total sense. And it's a brilliant almost point to end. And it's something that you touched on in that little interview that we did in Waco was the idea of, you know, having a family isn't an excuse for mediocrity. It should be a reason why you get up every day and, and yeah. work harder and, and push. So no, it's it's beautiful, mate. Thank you. Thank you for for sharing that. And one other thing you mentioned as well, which I mean maybe you can touch on, but maybe me just mentioning it is enough. But you said one of your life goals is to be able to do a sprint distance triathlon with your grandkids one day. Yes. So, uh, you know, you're going to have to get your kids into the sport if you want to get the grandkids <laughs> doing right. it as well, right? You've got to set right. that example. Otherwise, they're not just going to randomly sign up one day. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I told my oldest, I said, you know, I have a goal to do a sprint triathlon with, with my grandkids. So you're part of that goal, man. You got you to gotta have some kids because I got to have some grandkids. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, imagine um, all of you yeah. doing it like the generation. funny. Like, oh, it'd be amazing. I was, so the sprint, the, I only did a sprint before Waco and I remember I was running, so I'm running. It's like, what was it? Like 500 meter swim, you know, it was like 10 mile bike and like three mile run. Right. So I'm like running on the three mile run and I, I kind of saw it as a workout. I was like, not trying to push myself. Sure enough. So you had to write your age on your calf in this one. So you had to yeah. write your age category. So you, like your actual age, this dude runs past me and says 70 on his calf. And I was like, Ah, I was like, I start running faster. I'm like, I'm not letting this guy have that. It was like, dude was a beast. It's like, but I just thought I'm like, that's got to be me. I got to do that. You know, I'm not going to let, I'm going to be that person, you know? So. Beautiful, mate. It's a great way to end. I've really enjoyed this conversation before we do go. I sort of like to end it with a couple of, couple of questions. Sure. And you've, you've talked a lot to what is coming in the future, but I would love to know, yeah, what you're hoping if you've got, you know, any more kids on the horizon. You know, if you're planning on on moving back or maybe coming to uh, Australia to do an Ironman one day, what are what are the thoughts? What are the plans? Love to have you in Australia, mate. I would love to come to Australia. I uh, so the plans are we're kind of talking about more kids. We're trying to figure out that we we're not sure about that, but we're praying about that and and trying to discern what that looks like. But um, we've always had the mentality of like if the Lord wants to give us more kids. We'll have more kids. But I, I like this notion of these endurance sports and I think I've kind of caught the bug. I don't know if that's, I told my wife, I was like, I think we got to, I got to do a full. And she's like, okay, you know, <laughs> um, I know that's a lot more training, but I'd like, I, I want to, I, I want to do, I like, so I think the notion of an endurance sport is having something on the horizon, like having that date on the calendar. Yeah. I just saw the power in that. And I think, turning that into also an event for the family, I think is something I want to continue doing. So example, one thing that I'm, I haven't signed up for yet, but I'm really close to is in the, there's a Mackinac bridge that goes from the lower peninsula of Michigan to the upper peninsula of Michigan. The entire bridge is like five to six miles long. So it's like goes like the, but the actual t uh, distance between the, the, the land masses that it spans is I think four and a half miles. It's like between four and five miles. There's someone organizing a swim across that. And it's like, I mean, Lake Michigan is like, it's almost like an ocean in the sense the like the size of the waves and all this stuff. 
So that's in, I think, July. It's like next summer. Four and a half mile swim. Yeah, just straight swim. And it's like pretty, like, it's not like a, it's not, it's not the Brazos, you know, like that's a, it's could be really choppy. So I think I'm going to sign up for that. So I think that'd be really cool to do. Just to say you've done it, like, then every, if you ever go across that bridge, like, dad swam across this, you know, like, to set the example. I think dads have to set the tone, you know, and moms, but it's like the parents have to set the tone of like, yeah, this is, it's, it's, it goes back to the normal versus abnormal. Mm-hmm. I want them to be like, that's normal that dad and mom are pushing themselves to something physically, something, something else, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I love it, mate. It's uh, great points that you raise. I look forward to hearing about your, your time on that swim and uh, seeing, you know, maybe your kids start competing in their little, little distances as they, you know, progress in the coming years, mate. As I mentioned, great conversation. The last question I always like to end on is what I think I mentioned at the start of the conversation before we officially started recording, but it was what advice would you give to your ex younger self? So if you're, you know, that older aged person, maybe in their sixties, these guests on Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss, but when someone's maybe around your age, I sort of like to flip it. So I would love to know, Mike, if you could give advice to maybe say your 70 year old self, so almost double your age, that guy running past you potentially, or maybe you're running past the younger, younger lads in, in 30 odd years, what advice would yeah, you like to give to your, to your 70 year old self, if you could project in the future? That's a really good question. I would say just pull the trigger, just do it, just sign up, just, just do the thing, you know, and don't, don't try to figure out too much, like how you're going to do it, but just commit, you know, I think that there's wisdom in, you know, counting the cost of, of something but there's so much power and just like, if you've assessed it enough, if you've thought about it enough, you usually have enough data and you've done enough. And then past that, you're just overthinking it or delaying it out of fear or something. And I would say just, just commit, just somehow force yourself, put a date on the calendar to do it and you'll figure it out. You'll, it'll drive you to, to actually do the thing. Beautifully said, mate. Great advice. Where can people find you when, uh, if they want to reach out, you've got your own podcast, Two Cent yeah. Dad, I mentioned. Yeah, if you go to Two Cent Dad, like the number two and then sentdad.com, that's where you can find me. I'm at Sudik, S-U-D-Y-K on Twitter. Yeah, I would say just reach out any of those places. Happy to help if you're a dad, especially. Um, would love to chat with you, check out the podcast. And also my company, EC Group, if you go to teamwithec.com, that'll take you to our website, you know, if you're looking for software developers. So got to plug that. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Thank you. I'll put all of those links in the show notes. This has been an absolute pleasure, Mike. Thank you so much for your time, mate. Any final thoughts, any things you'd like to say before we end that I maybe haven't prompted with a question? No, I just want to say thank you so much for the opportunity to chat with you, Ren. And um, it's a pleasure to get to know you. I love the that we just happened to meet all the way from you were all the way from Australia. I was from Michigan. We met in Waco, Texas. And yeah. so cool, man. I cherish everyone that I've met along the way and you especially, man. So thank you. I appreciate it, mate. Looking forward to our next race together. We'll uh, we'll leave it there. Cheers, legend. Sounds good. Cheers. So there you have it. Another episode of The Hope Initiative. Thank you so much to Mike for joining me for this one, mate. It was an absolute pleasure. Also great to have one of your boys on the podcast. And uh, yeah, thank you again, mate. I'm sure it won't be our last time chatting and I look forward to that Iron Man and greeting you in Australia at some point in the future. 
As always, thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this conversation, you've obviously listened all the way through. I would love for you to share it with a family member or friend, someone who you think will enjoy the messages within this. doesn't mean you have to agree with 100% of the things we said, but something there I know will resonate with people if you've listened all the way through. So as always, the links and all of that are in the show notes to check out Mike and to interact with the podcast. And until next time, keep creating your life and all the very best.